Good afternoon, church. I hope, I hope your mind's clear right now. I, I've never heard that song, and I appreciate that song because I love the words. Listen, I, I'm going to tell you something. Maybe you're going to be shocked when you hear this, but uh, when I was a kid, uh, I got made fun of. <laughs> Specifically during middle school, uh, I had a quarter-inch gap in my teeth. Uh, yeah. And it was one of those things that people just love to make fun of. Kids, they love to make fun of me for. Um, and, I, and it drove me crazy. I was, if you can imagine this, I didn't have a whole lot of hair when I was a kid either. I was already had a receding hairline, a little overweight and uh, short. You know, I got over that one. I'm doing really well with my height now. I feel confident in that. <laughs> Not really. I'm still vertically challenged. But there was one thing for sure that never happened when I was a kid. And nobody ever took my lunch. I don't care how many bullies there were in our little Christian school. And by the way, it was a Christian school. Imagine that. Little, little demons still attend Christian schools, just like public schools. Bullies. But nobody ever messed with my lunch. That was one area you're not going to mess with. You can, mess, you, you can make fun of me. You can mock me. But you're not messing with my lunch because that was important to me. I think about this story in, in John chapter 6. And I can't help but wonder what took place. When Andrew made the decision to go to a little boy amongst thousands of people and ask for his lunch. <laughs> I mean, I don't understand what the mentality was at that moment. Out of the 12 disciples, Andrew was thinking, this would be a good idea. I'm going to ask that kid with five loaves, two fishes, not just two fish, two small fish, if I could take his lunch, give it to Jesus, and make something happen. At the beginning of the story, uh, Jesus is dealing with a number of things, and it's because he just came over the, the Sea of Galilee. And when he, when he got to this particular area, he wasn't expecting, I mean, he knows all things, don't get me wrong, but the plan wasn't to be teaching and ministering at that moment. But the groupies were following. I'm talking about thousands and thousands of groupies. We only know how many men there was. Because the record was only focused on the men, whatever reason that is. But there was thousands of women there and thousands of kids there. And so when he approached the shoreline and he sees all these people, at that moment there was a decision made. And that is something I want to talk to you about. It wasn't just the decision of Andrew. It wasn't the decision of Philip. It was the decision of Jesus that the other guys didn't even know about. Jesus already made a decision. And so there's, there's two things that are happening here in John chapter 6. Either the disciples made the dumbest decision in biblical history <laughs> or the decision that was made of using five loaves and two fishes of a, a child's lunch was actually a plan made by God. And I believe with all my heart, and obviously it is, a plan that God had in place for his son Jesus to use. So with that in mind... I want to talk to you about what happens when Jesus takes your lunch. Because your lunch represents your life and everything that's involved in your life. So watch this. John chapter 6, verse 5. Read with me. When Jesus then lifted up his eyes and saw a great company of people, this huge, massive crowd, come unto him, he saith unto Philip, When shall we buy bread? Now, so here's the thing. He said, in, in meat. Where are we going to get it? Philip's from that region, so he knows exactly what's around that area, the marketplace. So it's basically like Jesus saying, where do you think we should get some groceries? I mean, look at the people that are here. Surely you know the best location. Of course, Jesus 
had a plan and the reason for it. And you see that in verse 6. And this he said to prove him. In other words, to test him, to see his response. You see, Philip was a logical man. He was a philosophical guy. He thought everything through. So he's thinking, all right, looking at this crowd, we have about 10,000 people or so, maybe 15. He's figuring it all out, and he comes to the conclusion it's going to take about six to eight months worth of pay to give them crumbs. That's his, that's his reply to Jesus. And so we see that in verse 7. 200 penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them. That every one of them may take a little. That's all it's going to bring, Jesus, just a little bit. And one of his disciples, here he is, there's Andrew. <laughs> now watch, it says Simon Peter's brother. That tells you a lot about Andrew. See, he's not a significant guy. He's one of the few that was really focused on in God's word when it comes to the 12 disciples. Every time he's mentioned it, it's like, that's Simon Peter's brother. Simon Peter's brother. That's me. That's my life. My brother Tony. You know, they're like, uh, you're Tony's brother, right? Yeah, the pastor of Fellowship Baptist Church. That, yep, that's me. Yeah. You're, 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 no, they never say Denny. <laughs> you're Denny's brother, right? You're Denny's brother. No, the, they always refer to me as Tony's brother. I don't know if I like that, you know. You're Tony's brother, the guy that has a, a master. Now he's about to get a doctorate? Wow, did you guys know that? An honorary doctorate he's about to receive. That's just the cherry on top for me. I don't know if the word's out, but now it is, okay? So, so Andrew's that guy. And I think Andrew at this moment is thinking, I really need to prove myself. I mean, I see Philip trying to figure this out. I got it figured out. No, he didn't. He goes to a little boy and says, you got five loaves and two fishes, two small fishes. Can we use that? Can that, would that, would that work for you? Because this is the only portion of scripture that brings out the fact that it's a little boy. All the other gospels don't even mention that. I don't know if that was John trying to say, look, Andrew made this weird decision to talk to a little kid and get his lunch. But let's go on. He said, there's a lad here in verse 9, and he has five barley loaves and two small fish. But what are they among so many? Well, then why did you even bring it up? What was the point? Now watch this. All of this is working together for a reason. And this story over 2,000 years ago affects our life today. Because I want to talk to you what happens when Jesus takes your lunch. Because the lunch, again, represents your life, your value, and what you have to offer. When Jesus takes your lunch, he has two things in mind. He has a plan, and he has a purpose. Let me say it again. He has a plan, and he has a purpose. John chapter 6, verse 5, When Jesus then lifted up his eyes and saw the great multitude come unto him, he saith unto Philip, Whence shall we buy bread? Where are we going to go get the food? And again, Philip was working the figures out. But this is the important part, verse 6. For he himself knew what he would do. He already had a plan. When Jesus has a plan in place, the plan exists before any situation does. His plan exists before the situation even began. It didn't take him by surprise that all these people were going to show up. The proposal to use a little boy's lunch wasn't a surprise at all. 
For a matter of fact, when Jesus takes your lunch, his plan is part of a bigger picture. And at that very moment when Andrew said, what about this? God already knew that was going to happen. And Jesus, the triune God, knew exactly what he was going to say and what he was going to do. For a matter of fact, he doesn't say much at all. He just goes along with the plan. Let me tell you something. When Jesus takes your lunch, when he uses your life, he has a plan. And his plan existed before any situation ever began. He knew exactly who you were before you even took a breath into this world. I, look what, I love what God says to Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 1 and verse 5. Before I formed you in, your, in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I had a plan in place for you. Before you were, I knew you. God's plan is already pre-existing. Let me break this down. How many planners do we have in here? People that think through every situation. You got to, we have planners. Are the rest of you just, you just fly by the seat of your pants type people? How many of you fly by the seat of your pants? Never. Shame on you. <laughs> My wife is a planner. I feel like I'm a planner I, sometimes. Well, if I have an event, I like to put things in order. But when it comes to other things, I'm not always a planner. Depends on the situation. My wife is a planner. She's a planner. She'll put everything in order, and she usually does that to help me so I don't mess things up, right? So Bree will have something going on, and she said, Dave, everything's ready. This is A, B, and C, and all you have to do is follow A, B, and C. Don't be a dummy. Just do it. It's all there. Don't mess up the plan. Just follow the order of the plan. It's in place. You see, what planners do, they put everything in, a way, in, in, in order in such a way that you shouldn't be able to mess it up. You just need to do it, and then everything works out if you do the plan that's in place. It's kind of like an architect. He puts a blueprint together. He, he lays it all out, and he gives it to the builder. And all the builder has to do is follow the blueprints. Y'all follow me? Yes, sir. Yep. Everything, everything that's on the blueprints is there for a reason. Just like Bree, when she lays things out, it's done this way for a reason. Don't skip B and jump to C. There's a reason. So when you're building a house, you can't say, you know, is it really necessary to have this many two-by-fours in the wall? Is it really necessary to put the wall here when it would look better here? It is necessary because the ceiling will fall in because it's a low-bearing wall. You've got to have it there. Thought process was put in place. There's a plan for every part of what was put on paper. God's original plan for the world was perfect. It was all laid out. It's like a blueprint. All Adam and Eve had to do is follow the plan. Birds were getting along with each other. I mean, there was nobody ripping and roaring and arguing. Nobody was dealing with the lack of hair. Nobody was dealing with depression. Nobody's dealing with anxiety. Nobody had obesity. There was no problems. There was no cancer. There was no sickness, no disease. Well, you know why? Because everything was good, and it was not just good. It was very good because God had a plan. The only one that got off track was us. You say, I wasn't there. No, I wasn't either, but we're stuck with the results of the plan that was bypassed by Adam. Adam and Eve 
we know scripture and what it says when it comes to this disruption. Romans chapter 5 and verse 12. Wherefore, as by one man sin, sin entered into the world and death by sin. So death passed upon all men. For all of us now have sinned. Thank you, Adam. He's that one man. He messed it all up. He cursed us all. And it's not all a curse like Beauty and the Beast where there's a rose and you have this period of time and then you can fix it. There's no fixing it. It's done. The plan has been ruined by man. But God doesn't want it to stop there. His intention was for us to have a relationship with him. So when the plan went south because of Adam's decision, there was a separation there. We couldn't have the communication that we had before, like Adam would walk with God and communicate. Now sin has put a wedge between us and God. Something had to happen because the plan was messed up. His plan existed before this situation even began. He knew what we were going to do in his foreknowledge, and he was going to make sure nothing will separate us from the love of God. And we know that according to Scripture because the Bible says in John chapter 3 and verse 17, For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So we've got a problem. The plan's been messed up. So Jesus comes to fix the problem and get us back on track with the plan. Y'all following me? Yes, sir. He didn't come to condemn the world. The world's already condemned. He come to fix it. And so God's plan for us was to have a relationship with him and put things back into place. The original plan was to bring us, the, the, the original plan was for us to walk with Christ. Now the plan is to fix it so we can be restored with Christ. So watch. John chapter 3 and verse 18. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already. Why? Because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son. The only thing now that can mess up the plan because Jesus came 2,000 years ago to live and die and raise from the dead because the Bible says it's by his blood that there is remission of sin. Now, the only thing that can mess it up now, our salvation, is us. And the only way we can do that is reject his plan. Say, man, you messed it up then. I come to save you now, and now the only thing you have to do is believe in what I've done, and it's fixed. But we choose yet to do our own plan. We veer from God's plan for our life, which is just simply believing and trusting him. This requires you to give what you've got to Jesus, and it starts with your life. When Jesus takes your life, your lunch, he has a plan in place. And when we veer from that plan, everything falls apart. But when Jesus stepped in and he fixed and restored the blueprints for mankind, all we had to do is take the next steps and follow the plan that was in place. His plan existed before the situation ever began. And I want you to know this. This is very important. His plan requires for you not only to give you Give him yourself, but give him everything you've got as well. Hold back nothing. The plan requires you to give what you've got. Now, look at this. John chapter 6 and verse 8. One of the disciples, Andrew, there he is, Simon Peter's brother. Let me say that again, Simon Peter's brother. Saith unto him, there's a lad here, which have five barley loaves and two small fish. But what are they amongst so many? Anytime God asks something of you, anytime God asks something of you, he has a plan 
for you. The little boy had a choice to make. Either he could hold on to his lunch or he could give it to Andrew. Now, can you imagine if he said, no, there's a fat chance you're taking my lunch. <laughs> Mom, paid, Mom put this all together for me. Now, the two fish, they were small. They could have been dried fish. Doesn't sound too yummy. Or they could have been pickled fish. That doesn't sound any better. And, the, and then the barley loaves, they were just small, almost like wafers. They were kind of dry, nothing special. Barley, for a matter of fact, was what poor people would use. So this was a poor kid. He's going to hold on what he can hold on to. He's not going to give this up. Or at least that's the way I would be. I already told you my testimony when it came to bullies. Ain't nobody taking my lunch. But this little boy had a choice. He had a choice to follow God's plan, which required him to give what he got. What do you have? What do you have? You say, well, I don't have much to offer. I'd ask you if you have much to offer. I ask, what do you have to offer? What is it in your life that you've got, that God has given you, that you can give back? In order for God to fulfill his plan, you have to be willing to let go of your plan. Let me make this very clear. Every one of us have ideas, ambitions. We have thoughts and dreams and passions. We all have something in our mind we want to do. Could be because of our kids could be our relationship. It could be the job that we have, or maybe a job you want. Y'all follow me? Yeah. Every one of us have something special. And sometimes when we get that, we don't want to let go of that. When Christian was born, I thought this is the greatest moment in my life. And then he grew up, and then I'm like, wow, I was way off. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> and then Ellie was born, and this is the greatest moment of my life. Kids, awesome. But I didn't know if I wanted to give them to God. Y'all follow me? That's part of my lunch. You say, what does that mean? Why wouldn't you want to give your kids to God? Because I don't know what God's plans are for my kids. And I don't know if I like his plans. I'd rather God send me some ideas what he has in store for my kids. Because I want to see if I agree with it. Y'all follow? <laughs> I'm going to have that argument with God. I don't know if I agree with this one, God. Christian, he's got to move. I like him being around sometimes. I don't know if I want to give them to God. So you love your job? Give it to God and see what he does with your job. You say, well, what if he takes it? That ain't up to you because sometimes he takes your job to give you something better. Y'all follow me? See, so when we look at the plan, we think, wow. This is exactly, I'm talking about our plan. We think it's exactly the way it should be. But we don't think about the fact what it could be. Let me refer to Jeremiah. Jeremiah the prophet, again, God speaks to him in Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse 11. For I know the plans I have for you. I've got some plans for you. I got things laid out and in place for you, declares the Lord. Plans of welfare, things that are going to be good, not evil. I have a future of hope for you. Man, if God has that plan for him, don't you think for a minute he doesn't have the same plan for you? You said, me? Yeah, it doesn't matter how old you are or how young you are. It doesn't matter how wealthy you are or how poor you are. It doesn't matter how successful you are how famous you are, or <laughs> nobody's famous in here. It doesn't matter how much you're lacking 
the ability to communicate well and, and have friendships. God has a plan for you. When Jesus takes your lunch, when Jesus takes your life, when Jesus takes what you have, he has a plan. And it doesn't matter what's going on right now. His plan existed before the situation ever began. Just like Adam and Eve screwed everything up, God moved in and had some big things in place to move forward. And when it comes to you and it comes to me and it came to that little boy over 2,000 years ago, the plan requires us to give what we've got and hold nothing back. Why is this so important? Because we can't get to the next point unless we get this point. Let go of your lunch. Let go of your hopes, your dreams, your talents, your disappointments even, your faults, your failures, everything that you feel like is insignificant in your life. And when you follow his plan, he will allow you to see his purpose. Second, Jesus takes your lunch. He has a purpose. It's a twofold purpose. Very simple. Jesus had a twofold purpose for the little boy's lunch, to multiply it and to minister through it. Let me say that again, to multiply it and to minister through it. His purpose is to multiply what you've got, to do something bigger than you ever thought. So in John chapter 6 and verse 9, there's that lad. He had five barley loaves and two small fish. But what are they among so many people? I mean, what can we do with this? Now watch what Jesus says in verse 10. He doesn't say, well, my father is God, and I think we can figure this out. He doesn't discuss it. He doesn't debate it. He doesn't even give his blueprints and his plan. All he says is this, sit them down in groups. There's a lot of grass out there. Get them to sit in the grassy areas and break them up into groups. That's it? That's all you got? Just do it. You know why? Because I've got a purpose. I've already got the plan in place. You just follow my plan. There's a purpose for what I'm about to do. So they break them up in the groups and they scatter them around throughout the fields. And the Bible says in verse 10, they sat the men down in the number of 5,000. And then in verse 11, and Jesus took the loaves. And when he had given thanks... He distributed unto the disciples and the disciples to them that were sat down. And this is what the Bible says. And likewise of the fishes as much as they would. That means there's plenty to go around. Man, just distribute it and distribute it and distribute it. I have no idea how that was accomplished. I know in one of the other gospels he broke it and he gave thanks and then he distributed it. I don't know if the baskets that they had just kept on filling. I don't know if he just broke it and it just multiplied it in his hand. I don't know what, the, what this looked like because I can't really picture it in my mind. But I do know this. He took what was little and made much. He took what was little and he made much. And it didn't matter if the boy was poor or rich. He took what was little and he made much. Don't discard your purpose because you don't feel like you have much to offer. Don't discard yourself just yet. That's why people kill themselves. That's why people give up and quit. That's why people deal with anxiety, frustration, and depression. Because they feel like they're insignificant and they have nothing to offer the world. Forget the world. Think about God. Because what you have, he wants to take. He'll take care of the world through what you've got. The point is simple. If you really want to see God do something great with your lunch and your life, 
You have to let him fulfill his purpose. This little boy, as poor and insignificant as he was, still was willing to let go so God could multiply it. Let me tell you something. It was nothing for Jesus to take something so little and multiply it. But throughout biblical history, God did that over and over and over again. It was just a small, smooth stone that took down a giant. It wasn't a boulder that fell off the mountain. Hey, it was just a staff that took down Pharaoh because Moses used that staff as God planned for him to use it. And the purpose was fulfilled and the people were delivered. Hey, sometimes it's as simple as a jawbone of a donkey, as small as that is, that could slay thousands of Philistines in the hand of a man that followed the plan. Don't tell me that you're insignificant. Don't tell me you don't have a purpose. You say, well, I'm a stay-at-home mom. That doesn't matter. You say, well, I work at a grocery store or UPS or FedEx or whatever the case may be. That doesn't matter. What matters is where you're at in your life. You need to understand God has a plan for it, and you have to allow him to use it. You say, well, I don't know what that actually looks like. It's simple. In order for God to do something big, you have to simply let go. Let go. Letting go just means whatever your will is, I'm going to follow. Whatever you want to do, I'm going to do. So if God lays it on your heart to do something crazy, do that crazy thing. That's called crazy faith. Go all the way. Go all the way. Two years ago, when I stepped out by faith and I was like, hey, let's plant Thrive Church. We didn't even know the name of the church. I was comfortable. You've heard this testimony. I say it again. Just enjoy it. All right, here we go. I was comfortable. The executive pastor at Fellowship Baptist Church, a very established church, I love my income, I love where I live, and I love my office. I still love my office, still get to use it. But the point is simple. I was in a spot in life that I didn't want to shake, the, shake anything up. I just wanted to stay where I was, but I realized God could do something crazy amazing if I just willing to let go of my plan. Now, do I know what's going to happen in 2023 for Thrive Church? I have no idea. I don't know if half y'all will be here in six months. I hope so. But what God has in store is part of his plan and to fulfill his purpose. And all I have to do is to be willing to follow and let go of what I have for him to fulfill what he needs to fulfill. It may be insignificant. I may not be anything special. But who I am, God wants to use anyway. But what are they among so many let me tell you something, your small word of encouragement, and though it may be small, can change a life. Your one act of kindness can revolutionize a, per a person's life. One small gift or offering can change a generation in ways you never thought. When Ellie was little, we were going to Fellowship Baptist Church. And I, I've made, I, I can't even keep track of some of the things I tell y'all. But when she was little, she was always talking to all the older folks, and she was so nice. She was so sweet to all of them. And she would go to this one lady and say, hello, just simple. How are you? She didn't have any conversation with her. She didn't counsel the lady. She's just a little girl. And one day that lady came to me and said, I want to talk to you about something very important. I'm thinking, ah, I didn't even really know her. I thought, ah, can I work this out for me and her to meet? It was a very busy time. 
So later on, she met with Bree because things didn't line up for me and her to meet. And she, Bree says, Dave, you really need to meet with her. She has something very important to talk to you about because of Ellie. I'm like, oh, gosh, because of Ellie. So I meet with her, and she said, I want you to know that I'm going to put you in my will. And when I die, I want you to have the house and all my stuff, everything. Keep talking. <laughs> she said, but we're going to split the house with Fellowship Baptist. You get half, they get half. You sell it, whatever you need to do, but everything else is yours. I said, why? I, uh, I mean, I, I didn't even know this lady. She said, because your little girl said something so sweet to me. I said, what? She just asked how I was doing and just stuck with me. I mean, she's just, I need that. She had no family, no friends. She just didn't have anybody she hung out with. And she said, she just encouraged me with a little word, and it's just stuck with me. So from that day forth, me and Ellie went to the old folks' home. I'm kidding. <laughs> so go meet as many of them as you can. Let's get in the will. I never saw that coming, but through that, God did some big things from a little word. Are y'all following me? Yeah. So don't tell me you ain't got nothing to offer. What you have is so small and so insignificant that God can't do something with it. The purpose of multiplying the lunch was to minister to the people. It's not always about you. You say, well, I'm part of the plan. You are part of the plan, but God has a bigger plan in place than what you think. And the purpose in the end is going to be amazing. His, his purpose is to minister through it. Not just to multiply it, to minister through it. Now watch. In John chapter 6, verse 12 and 13, when they were filled, I love that part. Because everybody ate until they were filled. It's pretty substantial. I mean, they didn't just get a little food. Philip's like, this ain't going to work. Crumbs, crumbs. And they were filled. Not only that, if we follow scripture two verses on, we find out there's 12 baskets full. That's amazing. Someone said, the 12 baskets were for the 12 disciples. I don't believe that's true. I think the 12 baskets were for that little boy to bring back to his family and his extended family. You know why? Because when you're willing to give up what you have and let God multiply it, God's going to bless you for it. You just got to give him a chance to do it. And too often we're not willing to give him a chance to do it. And so... They filled those baskets and distributed it, and they, didn't want to make, they wanted to make sure nothing went to waste. The little boy's lunch, as small and insignificant as it seemed, was great in the end. Let me tell you something. I don't know what you have. I don't know what's in your lunch. One of my favorite things to do when I was a kid is just to eat whatever's left from everybody else's lunch. Amen. One of my teachers, she was always the nicest lady ever. Her name was Miss Mann. Weird name, huh? Mrs. Mann. Mrs. Mann says, Dave, I got some leftovers. Do you want them? And I'm like, yeah. It's like a fat kid on campus. Give it to me. Keep it coming. I ate everything that was left over because, man, lunch was important to me. I'm going to tell you, when God is through using you, you're going to walk away with more than you came. More than you came with, because it's not just about you, it's the others around you, because they're all going to be filled. They're going to benefit physically and spiritually in this passage of Scripture, and I don't know what the future holds for you and what you can do with where you're at, but I promise you, 
it's going to blow your mind what happens in the end because it's a miraculous work of God. So stop sucking your thumb and thinking, woe is me, I can't do anything with my life because your life is worth something substantial even though your life seems insignificant. So what am I going to do where I'm working? Use it for God's glory where you're working. Use every opportunity you have to give everything back to God. And God's going to use that to change people's lives. I'm going to, I want to finish with this. In 1855, a guy by the name of Edward Kimball was a Sunday school teacher and had some boys in his class. And he went to a shoe store to visit one of his little boys that goes to his class because the boy worked at the shoe store just making some extra money and had an opportunity. While he was at the shoe store, he led that little boy to Jesus Christ. Well, from that moment on, that little boy was on fire and so excited. His name was Dwight. And that little boy grew up to preach the gospel. Not just preach the gospel, but he discipled people. He was considered one of the greatest disciples in history outside of Paul himself. Unbelievable work. Between his writings and his preaching and his influence, he's reached over 100 million people according to history books. His name was D.L. Moody. Dwight. Who had ever thought? Through D.L. Moody's preaching, J. Wilbur Chapman responded to God's call to preach. J. Wilbur Chapman was another profound preacher that started preaching crusades. Lit a fire in every town he'd step foot in. And a little boy in one of the towns got on fire and surrendered to preach under J. Wilbur Chapman. And that little boy named Billy made a decision that he was going to preach too. And he was going to have some revivals. And he was going to start some, some, something, something so unique he called them crusades. And so he did. And as he would preach, he would change cities all over America. He would shut down bars. He would preach aggressively in such a way that just stirred the hearts of people. His name was Billy Sunday. And through Billy Sunday's preaching and influence, the fire just spread. Mordecai Ham was one of those guys that caught the fire because he's like, look, they're having crusades. They're having revivals. Mr. Ham says, I'm going to do the same thing. So with the fiery preaching that he had, he started preaching across the country as well. Because of the influence of Billy Sunday, he started sparking a fire within the hearts of other young men. And other young men would step up to the plate and start to preach. Now watch this. What Mr. Ham was preaching in one of the cities, a 16-year-old boy was sitting in the crowd under conviction, gave his life to Jesus Christ, surrendered to preach. And from that day forth, he pursued to be a man of God, preaching crusades just like everybody else that was influencing his life. These great men of God like Billy Sunday and D.L. Moody and throughout history, what he saw and what he experienced with the men within his period of time. His name is Billy Graham. And Billy Graham reached more people than anybody else in history outside of Jesus Christ. But it all started with one man that was a Sunday school teacher Mr. Edward, that made a stop at a shoe store to talk to a little boy about Jesus Christ. There's nothing special about Mr. Edward. He never preached to thousands and thousands of people. He never had an influence on hundreds of people within a congregation. He's just a Sunday school teacher. But little is much when God is in it.
I don't know where you're at, but I promise you, if you will just step back and give your lunch away to God, your life, your things, you will be blown away what God has in the future for you. And I don't know what it looks like, but it starts with just simply letting go. Would you bow your head for just a minute? Out of the respect to the person next to you, I want to ask you this simple question. With your head bowed and eyes closed, just be respectful. I don't want anybody to feel awkward. That's not our goal. I'm not going to call you out. Listen, I just want to talk to you from my heart. Man, the plan was so simple, wasn't it? God created a perfect world with a perfect man and a perfect woman to do a perfect plan to fulfill God's will. And then everything fell apart because man got in the way. But there's still hope, right? We got back on track. Jesus gave his life. He rose again for the remission of sin so anybody that believes on him could be saved. I'm afraid there might be somebody in here that never took advantage of that opportunity. I don't know where you're at, but when I was 14 years old, I was in that same spot. If you're in that spot where you're like, what am I doing with my life? Do you feel empty? Do you feel like you don't have purpose? Let me ask you this. Could it be because you're not fulfilling God's plan? Are you a Christian? You say, well, I believe in Jesus. I didn't ask you if you believe in Jesus. You say, well, I've been baptized. I didn't ask you if you've been baptized. I ask you, have you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior? Have you truly with all of your heart asked Jesus Christ in your life? Because if you haven't, then you're not a Christian. Because just because you have a head knowledge doesn't mean you're a believer in Jesus Christ. Being a believer in Jesus Christ means you've given your life. With your heart, you're saying, God, I believe in you. And I'm asking you to forgive me of my sins and come into my life. And become my Lord and Savior. You say, is that how I'm supposed to pray? I don't know. You don't have to say it like this. All you need to simply do is this. Believe. And in your own words, ask Christ in your life. Now, when I was a kid, I basically said it this way. I said, Lord, forgive me of my sin. And maybe where you're at right now, you need to pray and ask God in your heart right now in your seat. God, forgive me of my sin. Come into my life. I'm trusting you as my Savior. I'm giving you my life today. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That he lived, he died, and he rose again. And right now, by faith, I'm trusting you. I did that for the first time when I was 14. And maybe that was the first time you actually truly meant it with your heart and you gave your life to Jesus Christ. Well, the plan begins now. If you just did that for the first time and you gave your life to Jesus Christ and you meant it and you're not ashamed with nobody looking around, would you raise your hand and say, Dave, that's me. I gave my life to Jesus. I just prayed. That was me. I just did that. Would you raise your hand? I see those hands. Thank you. You may put your hand down. Is there anybody else? Say, Dave. That's me. I just did that. I just, I just prayed and I just asked God. Anybody else like that? I didn't understand it all when I was 14 years old. I couldn't, I couldn't get it in my mind what, what God was doing, right? All I knew is I believe and I'm going to trust him. I was going to give him whatever he wants. So after I gave him my life, I gave him the rest of my lunch, right? 
then God called me to preach. And it just didn't go good in the beginning because I got multiple sclerosis. I'm like, what's up with that? And then I had someone I thought was so special to me. And then she moved on because her dad said, preachers make no money. And I said, I don't care what anybody says or what anybody thinks. I will not stop what God's called me to do. I'll give him everything. Does it mean it's easy? No, sometimes you get hungry, right? Because you don't see the results right away. But man, when God's done, you carry away 12 baskets of blessing. And man, God's working. So where are you at? Wherever you're at, God wants to use you. And it doesn't matter how unstable you feel. So let me talk to you. Those are Christians and have trusted Jesus Christ. Have you given him everything? Are you holding back? Are you willing to tell your story wherever you go, what God's done in your life? If you are, then right now, I'm asking you to make a commitment to God right where you're at in your seat and say, now, right now, I'm going to give everything that I have in my lunch to Jesus. I'm being very symbolic. In other words, your whole life. You say, I'm a Christian, but I'm going to give him everything and I'm holding back nothing. If you're willing to do that and go all the way for Jesus, would you raise your hand like you actually mean it? I mean, like right now, some of you say, I've been doing that. I don't know. Have you? Raise your hand like you mean it and stretch it as high as you can, would you please? Thank you. That means your job is no longer your job. You may put your hand down. That means you're going to use your job as an opportunity to reach people. You're going to, hey, you're going to use your influence as an opportunity to reach people and to do something special. Because it ain't about you. It's about God's plan.